So a classmate of mine from rabbinical school recently told me a story. Her mother was babysitting for her two-year-old when he stood up and said, "Bubby, I'm a rabbi." She said, "Oh, okay, okay. Well, well, sweetie, what does a rabbi do?" And the two-year-old kind of thought about it and then said, "I talk." <laughs> Often it feels like rabbis talk more than anything else. But I think one of the things that I've realized in the last year and a half is how powerful language can really be. That even though we talk a lot, it can have a lot of power, whether we mean it to or not. And that is really the theme of part of this week's parsha of Noah. There is a sense that after Noah and his family survive the flood, they decide that they need to begin to repopulate the earth. The Torah tells us in Genesis 11 that in the beginning they all spoke the same language. Everyone on earth spoke the same language, and eventually they came together and they started to make bricks and mortar, mortar, and they started to build a tower, the Tower of Babel, trying to reach all the way to the heavens, as tall as they could until they reached the sky. But they displeased God. The text tells us that God said, "Look, these are all one people with one language, and this is just the beginning of their doings. Now no scheme of theirs will be beyond their reach. Let us go down and confuse their speech so that no one understands what the other is saying." So God went down to the Tower of Babel and created hundreds of languages and spread the people all over the earth. So that they couldn't communicate and build another tower together. It's a complicated moment in the text. Why is God so angry? What is so dangerous about people building tall towers and seemingly advancing society? It's complicated because God seems to be discouraging them from something that seems so instinctual, particularly today. Yet God also seems to be protecting society. The Midrash, the rabbinic commentary, teaches that many, many years were spent building the tower. It reached so great a height that it took a year to mount to the top. A brick was therefore more precious in the sight of the builders than a human being. If a man fell down and met his death, no one really took notice of it. But if a brick dropped, they wept, because it would take a year to replace it. So intent were they upon accomplishing their purpose that they would not permit a woman to interrupt her work of brick making when the hour of travail came upon her. Molding brick, she gave birth to her child, and then immediately went on to mold more bricks. So the midrash, often in the extreme, because the rabbis wanted us to really feel what was going on, makes it clear what God was really angry about. That the people were so obsessed with building the tower to the heavens that they forgot about the value of human life. So how does God stop them? How does God permit this sense of inhumanity? He gives them different languages by preventing them from communicating with each other. God recognizes the power of language to destroy as well as to heal. 
We certainly experience the power of language in our lives today, not just as rabbis. Whether watching the last two presidential debates or witnessing the diplomacy efforts in the Middle East, we are reminded again and again that words and the need for their translation carry enormous weight. So what if God had never punished the people at the Tower of Babel? What would it be like if everyone spoke the same language on the entire world? In 1905, L.L. Zamenhof wrote, My Jewishness has been the main reason why, from earliest childhood, I have given my all for a single great idea, a single dream, the dream of the unity of humankind. Zamenhof was the creator of Esperanto, from the Latin root for hope, espero, to hope. His dream was to create a world language that everyone could speak to each other. It would not have its roots in colonialism or economics, like everyone speaking French or English or Chinese, but serve as a neutral modern language that everyone could learn and communicate with. Zamenhof was a well-educated Polish Jew born in the 1850s who started off as an ardent Zionist who promoted the modernizing of Yiddish in his youth. But eventually he changed his mind and sought to establish Esperanto beginning in the 1870s. He ultimately believed in universalism above nationalism, Esperanto above Yiddish or even Hebrew. Yet his efforts faced deep anti-Semitism as he continued to hold conferences and meetings and tried to promote the use of Esperanto throughout Eastern and Central Europe. Hitler wrote in Mein Kampf that Esperanto was part of the Jewish conspiracy to dangerously unite all Jews globally. Zamenhof died in 1917, and all three of his children perished during the Holocaust in Treblinka. And although his dream was never fully realized, 120 years later, there are thousands of his followers who gather around the world to speak Esperanto to each other. I remember in college at Stanford, there was an Esperanto club where people would uh, meet in a common room and speak Esperanto to each other. Zamenhof saw his project as deeply Jewish, his vision of bringing justice and righteousness, a sense of tzedek, into the world. He believed that only by speaking the same language could society conquer anti-Semitism. He wanted to reunite the Earth's people under one language, thousands of years after the Tower of Babel. According to the Midrash, God created hundreds of languages to, permit, to prevent the people's inhumane behavior towards each other in building the tower, really at the beginning of the second chance after Noah to have a peaceful society. And Zamenhof also saw violence and inhumanity in the world. And his solution was the opposite, almost a tikkun, a healing from Babel. It was to bring people together through language. We can appreciate the power of his original idea we have all experienced the frustration of not being able to communicate with someone in their native language or in ours. And those of us who have learned or tried to learn another language 
Know what it is like to be able to speak to someone in Spanish or Japanese and the magic of that interaction. But we may also dismiss the Manhoff's idea as naive or unrealistic, especially given the ultimate outcome of his efforts. More Israelis speak modern Hebrew today, a language that barely existed when he was alive, than there are Esperanto speakers in the world. But Zamenhof's story reflects a core tension for all Jews, the conflict between the universal and the particular. Whether you lived in Eastern Europe at the turn of the century, or you live in the Bay Area today, we struggle with how to maintain a strong, unique Jewish identity while also striving for justice and peace among the nations. We want to maintain our own unique traditions and culture. We want to maintain our own unique traditions and culture while not letting them serve as a barrier to empathy and general relationships with the other. The challenge arises on small occasions, like should we buy something made in Israel or made locally? And on bigger occasions, should we send our children to Jewish day schools or to public schools? And Zamenhof dreamt of the universal, but in some ways was defeated by the particular in the end. And as Bay Area residents, we are often naturally pulled toward the universal and have to work hard to establish the particular. Like so many difficult questions in life, the answer often lies in a balance between the two competing values. Like the twisted Havdalah candle that we light at the end of Shabbat, we are the combination of both identities, the universal and the particular, the Jewish, the American, and the human. And our struggle is one that has been going on for 2,000 years. And on this Shabbat, I pray that we continue to wrestle with it, that we appreciate our history and where we are today, and that for the future we find some balance of the two values. Shabbat Shalom. <laughs>